Everybody waiting for the fall of man. Everybody praying for the end of times. Everybody hoping they could be the one. I was born to run. I was born for this. Welcome back to the Chip Shot, where we talk about real estate, business, leadership, and our community. Why we believe real estate is the best business in the world when bought correctly. Why it's important to mind your own business. And why leadership is important. Because at the end of the day, everything rises and falls on leadership. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Chip Shots. Today, I have an awesome guest, Kara Bartek. She is a an author, and uh, you can check her out at Kara Bartek Author on Facebook. Right? Mm-hmm. That that, uh, that is yes. correct. Anyways, Kara writes books, and I've never uh, had the privilege of having an author on on the Chip Shot yet. So today is a a new day. It's an awesome day, and we're going to talk about and how this all happened and, and how we met maybe and all that. So if we if we will, I'll talk about how I met you. Um, you married a classmate of mine, uh, Matt Bartek, Dr. Matt Bartek now. Yes, yes. And, uh, don't fluff his ego. <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing how, he, how far he's going in life too. And y'all two are just very two successful people. Y'all have y'all's own business, business also, yes. which is an agricultural seed business, correct? Like wholesale? And- yeah, we kind of do. So um, if you've ever seen King of the Hill, right. and you know how um, Hank says that he sells propane and propane accessories? Okay. Well, that's what I like to tell people. We sell sorghum and sorghum accessories. So we kind of do everything. Um, really what we started out as was simply an agricultural research company. And sorghum was our main product because Matt was a sorghum breeder. So that was basically what we knew. And those were the people that we knew. And then over time, we began to branch out into different areas. So right now, we do the research, we do consulting, we do brokerage, which is really kind of more of a business-to-business thing. So we don't have like a retail you know, sorghum seed brand. It's not like Dr. Matt's yeah. you know, sorghum right, seed, right. although I'm sure he would like that. Right, right. <laughs> but, um, and, uh, yeah, so that's basically it. That's awesome. What's the ag business is called Bartek? It's called Bartek Agricultural Research. Back, uh, Bartek Agricultural Research. So check that out also. Just phenomenal family here, guys, uh, doing wonderful things. And glad to have you all here in Schulenburg now. Yeah, we're, we're really happy to be so here. So that's very cool. So let's talk about uh, how you became an author, what inspired you. Let's talk about that process. So first off, folks, she's written two books that I know of that have been published. The first one is called Cosmic Conundrum, and the second one is Quantum Quagmire. Yes, I know, and, both tongue twisters. And they're both science books, right? Yes. So they're, yeah. they're, they're elementary style science mm-hmm. books. Uh, fiction for students to read or kids to read. Yes, yeah. So they're they're really marketed as middle grade fiction. Okay. Um, and they are science books. So and when I say science books, I think a lot of people probably cringe and say, "Oh my gosh," you know, think of like just cold like formulas and stuff. But actually, what it's about um, is a little girl named Serafina, and it's a series called Serafina Love Science, and it's all about her um, and her love for science, basically. Um, and so she gets into, um, you know, silly situations. She learns about new things. Um, and she basically kind of goes through life as an 11 year old, figuring these things out while being a huge scientific enthusiast. So that's, that's important because during that age, that, that middle grade age, especially around nine to 11, even up to like 14 and 15 years old. Um, little girls have been shown to um, lose interest in science. Um, and so there, there's a gap. 
You know, okay. there's a gap in the workforce that exists. There's a gap in our higher education institutions. Um, there's just not a lot of girls in science. So when do they, what, what age do they lose? Or does that, so that they lose interest? They, so basically what the experts say is right around the onset of puberty. Okay. And so it's kind of one of those things where it's the traps. And so that's one of the things that I talk about in Sarah Gingel of Science. Like, okay, when you're like growing up and you want to fit in with your friends, it's like not really cool to be like a, you know, periodic table enthusiast or, you know, somebody who wants to do recreational chemistry. You know, these are things that don't usually win you popularity, right? Um, but so that's what I'm trying to do with that, that particular storytelling style is to kind of flip that on that head. You know, those are the things that I personally experienced as a kid. And you, did you, you love science. As a I kid. love science. I still love science. Okay. I'm pretty much a, a geek when it comes to those things. Well, I am a geek. Yeah. Um, but, um, but it kind of goes, that probably goes in hand. Science probably goes in hand in hand with y'all's business. Oh, exactly. absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it, it's, it's the idea of, of being constantly curious. And that's what, that's the great thing about science is science is essentially the systematic way of being curious. You know, you can use your curiosity, you can use your wonder about the world and, um, have all these rules, have all these things, and it helps you understand things better, you know, like, right. um, you know, things like astrophysics, quantum physics, and you're probably going, what What would, you know, a, a young kid want to do or, or care about quantum physics? Well, quantum physics is really all about the basic nature, the basic characteristics of the universe. So, for example, in Quantum Quagmire, um, you know, I talk about the traps that little kids go through. Well, my oldest daughter, maybe a year or two ago, came to me and she was really upset about divorce. Okay. And it was one of those things that I really didn't understand where it was coming from. So me and her dad, you know, we own our own business. We work together and we fight. So of course he wanted a tractor. <laughs> he wanted something. And we're like, you know, in hand-to-hand combat about this tractor, whatever that it was. And um, she said, mom, are you and dad going to get a divorce? And I was like, where did that come from? You know, he hasn't bought the tractor yet. So, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, good. <laughs> we're safe. But, um, so, um, so anyway, she, I said, you know, where is this coming from? So she said, you know, there's this, one of her friends in her class, the parents were going through a divorce and this was a huge emotional thing for her to process. And, um, and I said, well, why are you specifically, why are you upset about it? And she said, well, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about him because he doesn't want to have to live in between these two houses. He wants to see his parents every day together. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to have to split time. And I, I didn't know how to respond to that. Um, and, and, you know, and maybe that says something about my emotional depth. I don't know. So I kind of thought about it and I was like, I don't know how to answer this question. So it, a, a story started kind of brewing in my mind, and that's the basis of quantum quagmire. So I thought about it and I said, well, what does, you know, what does science say about when two things have been put together? Or, for example, you know, more specifically, a family has been brought together. Well, quantum physics said, um, in particular the the principle of quantum entanglement says that once two things have been together in close physical proximity you can separate them even as far as the opposite ends of the universe and they still retain properties and characteristics as if they are together wow so that to me is pretty significant so i thought about that um you know you think about people that you care about your friends or your loved ones that you leave behind or maybe, you know, parents when they go through a divorce. 
if our most basic elements, you know, electrons, they retain the same spinning position that they did when they were originally together, even though they've been separated by, you know, millions and billions of light years, that says something about our very nature. That says something about our core. And so I told her that, you know, I kind of explained that to her and for whatever reason that kind of made her feel better. And I said, this would be a great story. Yeah. Yeah. So those are those kind of things. So, you know, having that canned curiosity, science can, while it is kind of dry, can be definitely boring. These are the things that answer the questions that we have in the world. They answer the big ones, you know? Right. How do things work? How do we cure diseases? Um, And so that's what, that's what it's all about. Like you talking says a lot about your brain and how it works. Um, you're very smart, I can tell. Like, <laughs> tell, my, tell my husband, especially during budget time. So, I'm just blown away how you could take science. Well, you probably know science, so you're very intuitive about science, and so you're able to apply it to this example in life. You know, it just kind of works for you. But I never would have thought about that and the way you just articulated that was amazing. And it's like, oh, oh I want to read the book now, you know. So I want to get it for my kids and I want to read it to them. This is, this is good stuff. Well, you know, for me personally, and I think I've had those experiences in my life. So when I was about 10 years old, um, we had moved from the Woodlands out to, which is, if anybody knows where the Woodlands, Texas is, it's a giant mall. Okay, that's what it is. There's a lot of concrete. There's, I mean, it's this massive neighborhood. This is like what you would think of as the classic suburbs. And my parents moved me out to a little town called Wallace, Texas, which if you've ever seen that, it's basically a stoplight. And I yeah. think there might be like one gas station. It's a very, very small town. So it was a huge culture shock. And so that was one of those times in my life where I was processing big, you know, emotional things. And I saying, you know, what is going on here? Well, I've always loved reading. Reading has always been kind of a creature comfort in my life. And, um, and so that's what I turned to. So I can remember going to um, the, the library, which libraries are, they very comfortable to me. I love them. In fact, the first thing I did when I got here to Schlumberg is I went got my library card. Yeah. Hello! <laughs> I got my library card. It's an awesome library. Don't you think <laughs> it's awesome amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. It really is. And the people are fabulous there. So anyway, It's a good us. collection. We're, we're, we play we pay fines all the time for not returning. We're their best customer. <laughs> They're going to have your picture in the lobby. <laughs> But, uh, but anyway, so, yeah, so I go into this library, and of course the librarian, she's kind of, like, pretty wicked, and, you know, she kind of, like, is like a gargoyle in the corner, and so I didn't really want to ask her, you know, what, what book I should have. She was, you know, she wasn't approachable, so I kind of perused the stacks, and I found this book, and it had this very strange illustration on the cover, and it was a flying horse with a bunch of kids on the back. Yeah. So is this about, I'm definitely going to have to read this. Sign me up. Yeah. So I got this book, and what it turned out to be was A Wrinkle in Time. And so A Wrinkle in Time now, I think it's gained a lot of popularity because I think like Oprah and Jennifer Garner, like there's like a lot of like, you know, really cool people in this movie, whoever it is, I don't know. Um, but uh, so it's, it's a book about a little girl basically not fitting in. And so it was like, it spoke to me, and I was 10 at the time, and I can remember reading in one night, and that's, you know, that's probably not healthy, because yeah. you probably need to rest and stuff like that, but it was, that's how, that's how significant it was for me. So I read that book, and it incorporated a lot of those, um, 
ideas and principles about science, like the ability to time travel. And I thought, man, this would be amazing if I could just like time travel out of here. And so it, it sparked that lifelong thing. And I said, you know, these, and, and I started to look at it and I was like, these are real concepts. The idea of time travel, the idea of um, wormholes, the idea of, you know, interstellar. These are, these are real things. This wasn't simply just a fiction yeah. um, exercise. This was a real book. And so it had these real concepts about a little girl that I related to. Yeah. So, you know, that was, you know, when, when I thought about what I would like to do in terms of writing and how I'd like to affect other little girls, I kind of go back to that experience. Yeah. Awesome. So, and Serafina, how did you come up with the name for Serafina? It, it was an S. I needed somebody who loved science. <laughs> you kind of just, especially when you're writing, you talk to yourself a lot. Yeah. But yeah, that's not a healthy thing. My, my daughters always say, Mom, are you talking to yourself again? I'm like, yeah, I'm talking to myself again. Right. But um, so Serafina loves science. And then also, you know, um, Serafina kind of conjures up that image of the seraphim, like a right. little angelic little girl. Yeah. So I liked it. And of course, I spelt it with an S, which makes it very edgy. Right. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. I think it's awesome. It's great. <laughs> so, you know, I'm going to be kind of uh, nosy here. Because maybe I want to write a book one day. I don't know. Okay, okay. But, okay, let's talk about the process. So, um, how did you... So, what did the first idea... Like, when did you say, you know what, I'm going to write a book? Oh, I've been saying I was going to write a book for a long time, okay. and I've and I have written a lot of books, mm -hmm. and they've all been terrible. According now, according to my husband, and then also, um, you know, agents. But that's that's a completely different story. But I I am at my core a book lover, mm -hmm. so I think that you know if you think about Maslow's hierarchy, this is how I always try to explain this to people: like, why do you want to be a writer? Why do you want to be? I am a bookworm yeah. and so if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs you know you need survival all these kind of things and you get up to self-actualization for well for a book lover when you get up to that very tip point of the the pyramid it is the ability to write because like for me writers are rock stars you know they're the they're the number one um, cool cats whatever so there, <laughs> which again yeah I'm sure that's a, but anyway I love I, I love authors um, and I'm, I'm fascinated with them. So, you know, for me, writing was going to be, you know, a number one thing. So I've, I've always done it. Now, I went to graduate school, which has a tendency to really knock out that cool fictional style and a voice. You yeah. basically, to write really well scientifically, you have to kind of sound like a robot, talk like a robot, uh -huh. you know. So, I, so I, I, had, I had always had a strong writing bone when I was little. I would, you know, enter into writing contests and I did really well. I won a few and stuff. And... Um, and so I, I, I liked it. And as you can tell, I'm pretty sarcastic and yeah. you know, I just kind of talk off the top of my head. Well, that's, that's has a tendency to be my writing stuff. But when I went to graduate school, it, it went all robotic. So I, I spent a lot of time trying to, to kind of get that back. And, and really what that comes from is just reading, yeah. you know, because when you, and, and I hear this from a lot of great authors, you know, Stephen King, which by the way, if you are, I've got a great book for you. Yeah. Stephen King writes probably one of the best books on how to write, what is the process like. It's called On Writing. Right. Um, and, and also, Stephen King's he's a fabulous, he has a very conversational style, so yeah. it, it kind of feels like you're just talking to him. But, um, but yeah, you, you kind of become this sieve, so what you're absorbing as you're reading, that's what you're pushing out on the paper. Well, okay. And, okay, so 
you had the thought, you kind of got your style, and so do you do you just get a piece of paper out one day and you start writing? Well, yeah. So that's that's the that's the other part. So you you can get all these ideas, and then you have to have that blinking blank screen looking at you. Now, for me, I am a I'm a creature of habit. Like I function best in routines. So that's normally what I do is I'll set a routine and I set goals. Yeah. I work well with goals. Now, when I'm writing really well and I'm on point, and you're not gonna like this, I get up at three a.m. Yeah. and I write. Yeah. And because that's when I, because I have a tendency to kind of be in my head, like, oh my God, that, you know, I've got a million things, with, should you really write that, that kind of stinks, like, you know, yeah. all this kind of like negative stuff. But when I'm up really early in the morning, I have a better flow. Yeah, you know? your brain is rested and yeah. Sleep. Yeah. yeah. Um, but when I'm not doing good, I'm up at like, you know, midnight trying to but anyway I try to I try to set a deadline or a you know a goal of about a thousand words or maybe a chapter goal or something like that and so that's, that's kind of in what one sitting yes in one wow. sitting now if I'm writing fiction a thousand words will go like that Stephen yeah. King I think to this day so Stephen King now I think he was also on some illegal medicinal supplements oh, yeah. <laughs> But he wrote, I think he wrote Christine in like um, a week. Yeah, Christine, yes, that's the card. He wrote that in like a week, and that's like a big thing. He wrote several of his books. Like he, he I, and I want to say that his 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 daily um, word count was something around 5,000. Now it's only two. Yeah. Um, Hemingway, now he was, his daily count was something like 500 words. Now, of course, but if you read his books, he's got these short kind of, it's almost like muscular writing. His, he's very, um, uh, he, 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 it's very simplistic, you know, yeah. very, but it, it, and it's elegant in a way, but it's not, you know, it's, I, I describe it as like man writing, you know, to me, that's what it seems like. Hemingway has a man. And then um, my absolute favorite author, which is Larry McMurtry, he, I read once that he writes, 10 typed pages a day. Now, when I say typed, he's on one of the, 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 the he's yeah. on an old school typewriter, so he writes 10 typed pages a day. And it's, his rule is basically, it doesn't matter if it's not, you know, whatever, he, but he's in the process, he's in the habit. It's right. kind of like building a muscle. Right. So. What's the name of the movie where the guy he moves out of the country to retire and he starts writing? Is it the one with um, Chevy Chase? Chevy Chase, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have that dog that kind of like runs around. I just, that's what I imagine me trying to ride. <laughs> that's what I imagine myself looking like. <laughs> I tell you, I mean, and it's notorious, especially amongst writers, like procrastination is like a big deal because it yeah. is, it's such a, it's a solitary effort and it's hard, you know, if you're, you'll have those days where you're like, yeah. I'm a rock star, yeah, I got 2,000 words and you're like, it's 3 a.m. I'm gonna go ahead and hit the snooze button, you yeah. know. And so, it's 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 hard, you right. know. You just don't you don't have that, you know. In a typical workplace, you have a lot of people holding you accountable. And I know John Maxwell is one of my favorite like motivational authors. He's written I don't know how many books, like 75. I don't know, mm-hmm. crazy number. Yeah. And they ask him how many? How did you write so many books? He's like. One word at a time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. One word at a time. Yeah, and it's so true. Yeah. yeah. And it can, it, you know, it can be very painful and intimidating because you know the the world of publishing it's it's pretty saturated, especially with um, self publishing being so legitimate. Because you know it kind of used to be pretty hacky, you know, right. 
it but now I mean there are fabulous self-published authors who make a lot of money right. you know who are very successful so it's it's really raised the bar and you have to be able to separate yourself you have to um, you know, say something of value, and and you got to market, which is right. that's the that's the really difficult right. part. Writing writing is easy. The marketing is hard. Robert Kiyosaki wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad. Uh-huh. He's one of the top selling authors of all time with his book Rich Dad Poor Dad, and he had met a lady that wanted some help uh, selling her book. She's a really smart PhD, had a English major, all this stuff, and uh, she was upset. She's like, you know, how dare you? Be able to sell these books when you didn't have an English major, you didn't have a PhD. He said, "Listen, man, I didn't say I was the best author. I'm the best selling author." <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, and you think about like um, one of my favorite stories is the guy who wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul, Jack Canfield, and I can never think of the other guy. But um, he, so nobody took his book. Like he was getting rejected. I, I, I think it was in the hundreds. Yeah. So he finally went to some really small publisher. They were like, they published like health stuff. So mm-hmm. like, you know, eating vegetables for colon, you know, colorectal health, you know, like <laughs> weird stuff. Okay. So he's like, hey, will you publish this? And I've got this, I've got this idea on how we're going to sell these books. And sure enough, that's what he did. He would, so he would um, sell books on consignment. Like he had like the books in like butcher shops, bakeries, just all kinds of random places. Yeah. Um, and I think he ended up hitting it big because he sent a copy of the Chicken Soup for the Soul to every member of the OJ jury. Wow! And so, and they had been like sequestered or whatever, and it like, and all of a sudden, it made it, it, it made the rounds. And he said that the the guy who ran the the publishing house wrote him a check for a mm-hmm. million dollars for his royalties, and he wow. said, "This is the first million dollar check I've ever written." Wow. So, and he, that's what it was. And Chicken Soup for the Soul, I mean, yeah. You know, it well, is what it is. You know, like, you may be a, a fan, but well, not to bring up Robert K. Cycle one more time, but yeah. he tried to push out his book. He self-published it also. He couldn't yeah. get, he couldn't get anybody. Everybody thought because he put in the book that your house is not an asset, and everybody just said your house. You know, everybody could not believe that you would say that your house isn't an asset. Right. So he couldn't get anybody to publish it. But finally, he kept calling Oprah Winfrey to get on her show. Uh-huh. He kept just calling her, calling her. So then he went on a trip. He could never get on the show. She never would. You know, whatever. Yeah. Anyhow, he went to Australia for like a camping trip with his buddies or something. They were gone for like two weeks. His wife Kim calls him. She's like, Oprah just called. She had a cancellation. Her show's in two days. You got to come back. He's like, man, she's like, honey, I'm on this trip. She's like, get your ass home. Yes, <laughs> yes. You're, going, you're going on that show. So he he got he came back, got on the show, and before he got done, Oprah shook his hand. She said, congratulations, I just sold you two million copies. <laughs> And he couldn't even get, you know, and he started adding this up in his head. He's like, two, maybe about six dollars a book. Yeah. Oh, shit, you know, it's like twelve million dollars today. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it's those, and it's those small things, you know. It's it. All it takes is is one opportunity, one right. time, you know. Right. And that's, I think that's the that's the struggle for. Well, people authors. think you're an overnight success, and nobody saw the struggle and self-publishing and nobody wanting it, no. and everybody turning it down, and just yes. keep grinding it out. And yeah. It took like ten years for somebody to finally. Get on that show and make it a push. Oh for yeah, it. absolutely, absolutely. And then, That's as they say, the rest is history. Yes, so, exactly. Um, so where are you? Where are you trying to get your books at? What are you doing to promote them? Okay, so I I have also been rejected by every major publisher. So, <laughs> but but I I finally found um, a publisher based in Austin called Absolute Love Publishing, and she her name is Caroline Shear. She's the she's the woman that that runs the show. It's her. And Denise Thompson, who is her 
uh, public relations guru, um, expert, that's what I always call her. Um, and, and Denise loves it when I call her that. And then um, she has an editor named Sarah Hockley. And so it's, it's just those three, three ladies, and they, um, uh, they, they were originally more into, I would say, kind of metaphysical self-help type stuff. So she's very much into the law of attraction, raising your vibration, and all of that kind of good stuff. Um, so those that was kind of in her publishing line, but her her mission is to create books or create works um, that do good in the world, okay. and so that's kind of her core thing. So she started to branch out, and that was that was kind of the value proposition I had to make to her was, hey, you know, this is this is what I'm trying to do, which is I want to promote um, you know promote and empower little girls in scientific fields. Um, and that's what these stories are all about. It's kind of like a backdoor way of yeah. me getting there. Um, which I, I don't think I've actually talked about specifically why why that was important for me. Um, but um, so you know, Matt and I own you know a, a, a scientific company. Yeah. But that was you know that was my background as well as in you know STEM fields and. Um, the reality is STEM is very different for women. You know, yeah. It's a very different experience. Not only are there less women, but when you are there, um, you know, things things are different. And I'm not going to get into all that because it, it has a tendency to be a very heated discussion right. and there's a lot of politics involved. Um, but anyway, I basically kind of said as, you know, as my own person, I said, listen, I can, I can handle this. I got this. You know, I can work harder. I can perform better, and I know I can do those things because I can control what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, what I can't control is, you know, other people. So, and I kind of said, you know, I'm good with that. You know, I, I can be successful. Now, when I was 30, I had our first baby, mm-hmm. um, which is Cece. Now, it, it, she was a girl. Now, having a girl is a totally different thing, too, because Matt, Matt was pretty nervous on him. I'm sure he probably told you when he, when he found out we were having a little girl. He was ghost white for, you know, about three weeks. I, I don't know what he was thinking. I think he just immediately, you know, thought about all the icky girl things that he was going to have to. But, uh, no, it, girls are girls are fabulous, and they smell really good and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but so, anyway, so I had to start to put those, you know, those things that I, that I dealt and do deal with um, you know, in, in, put that in the context of her, and, and, and it, it just—it was a huge reality check to say she's going to be dealing with this, mm-hmm. and am I okay with that? And it was a very simple answer for me: No, I'm not okay with that. But again, it comes back to this issue of what can I control and what can I not control. So I said, Well, you know, I'm—I'm I'm her mother. Um, you know, what I can do is, you know, set a good example and you know try to do things that help her out. So. So I would, you know, volunteer at her school, and of course, being the science person, they're always like, "Hey, can you like make slime and stuff like that?" So I was always up there trying to do that, and um, and they they had a science week, and I thought, you know, you know, it'd be really great is to try to try to teach complicated subjects because I was always trying to teach them something really crazy. Like one year, I wanted to do Punnett Punnett squares, like a genetics exercise, and they're like. I think this is advanced for the second graders. I was like, oh yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> so I said, but what if I could kind of couch this and put, you know, put this in there, you know, these more advanced concepts in a way that they like them. And, um, you know, make funny stories because that's, uh, humor is my big thing. I yeah. kind of like that. It's a good connector. It eases the pain, especially when you meet new people, you know, it's yeah. it kind of bridges the gap. So I wanted to have hilarious stories that dealt with, 
real science and real traps. You know, being called a dork, um, uh, friends, you know, not liking you or, you know, whatever that it might be, being judged. So, and that's kind of how I got there. And I, I read the stories to Matt and he was like, this is the first book that I really like of yours. Yeah. He's like, I'm so insulted, <laughs> but I'm going to start submitting these around. And that's what I did. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got there. And so that's, you know, that to me is, is what I'm trying to do. And, and that helps me focus. It helps me try to align my, you know, my time, my passion, my effort and say, this is about moving the needle for other little girls out there. Yeah. You know, I had told, I told an interviewer one time, and I don't know where it came from. It was very eloquent, but and it's very true. I feel like this is a long form love letter to my daughter saying, look, you can do this. Yeah. This is, you've got this. You, you know, don't worry about all of that other stuff out there. You know, you're going to come across X, Y, and Z, but, but here's how we're going to deal with it. You know, focus on, you know, being good in school, focus on excelling, focus on being a good person. Yeah. And the rest is, you know, great. Yeah. yeah. And so while, so while it's my love letter to my daughters, it's also a love, love letter, letter to, to your daughters. Yes. Yeah. Your nieces, you know, all the people that you love. And, um, yeah, so that's. That's kind of so and that's how I got there. So, but when you write, so is it just words, but like the graphics and all, where does all that come into play? Like, how does that happen? The graphics? Yeah. Well, so these books aren't illustrated. Okay. Um, and uh, the covers are illustrated, but yeah, these books aren't illustrated. They're, they're. Um, I got you. I saw, well, I saw the graphics in the front. Oh, so. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those are, those are done by a graphic artist okay. that, that Caroline contracts with. But okay. yeah, so that's, so they're, yeah, they're not fun, you know picture books or anything like that it's it's all words yeah um, well, it's, the, it's, the, it's that age group to where you you don't have to have yeah pictures, you know? yeah so, yeah absolutely yeah, i was just curious like i didn't know if you like the you know i don't know if you go on amazon there, I mean, if you just google care bartek i think the first thing that comes up is amazon and you can purchase yeah. the books right there yeah yeah so i just noticed like the color scheme and all that and i didn't know yeah know. they're very girly and i love the garish and the girly and the because, like, rainbows were a big part of it. Like, I always tell people my favorite color is rainbow. I love bright. I love bright colors. Yeah, Amazon.com, four slash Kara Bartek. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Um, so, your next book, is it, do you have any kind of names for it yet or anything? No, we don't have any names yet. Um, it's, 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 again, it's going to be around science. So, Cosmic Conundrum was, it, that's, that's a book about, um, the, the science basis of that are the Newtonian laws. And so I kind of use that as like an analogy for something that Seraphina is going through. And so she's, she's at a space camp and she's not fitting in, which is, you know, that's a lot at a space camp, right? To not fit in. Cause these are people that are like into thermodynamics and stuff like that. So anyway, so it's this kind of funny protracted story about her not fitting in. And she's got this like arch nemesis and her name is Ida Hammer. Just really great. I love silly names too. Yeah. So her and Ida, are, you know, have this contentious relationship, and um, and uh, I use the Newtonian laws to kind of describe the way that she feels, you know, in this whole set of circumstances. You know, she's being moved, you know, the same way that Newton describes emotion and things that are in motion have a tendency to say emotion and all that kind of good stuff. Oh wow! So it kind of backdoors the it backdoors the actual concepts. Um, in um. In quantum quagmire, as I discussed, you know, that's about um, quantum physics. So it's a very small, um, 
introduction into it specifically, you know, kind of about those those basic elements, um, you know, how they act and, you know, kind of what their, their nature is like. And so I try to use that as a, as again, as another analogy about how when things are together, they have a tendency to stay together. Um, the, this upcoming book is going to be all about marine science. So, and it's more, has a more of a conservative thing, conservative as in conservation. Um, and um, I don't want to spoil it. All right. It's definitely about plastic. <laughs> but I know you're on the edge of your seat. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So and it's and it's again the the big thing for me. It's it's about boy girl relationships. So and that is a time when you know that that very complicated yeah. idea of boy girl relationships comes in. So well. So when do you think they'll be completed? Um. Well. So it's. Technically, it's been completed, so I, I'll be going through edits here, hopefully within the next, okay. you know, day or two. So like you, you submitted to kick it back. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so it's kind of a round-robin process. And, um, and I, you'd be surprised. It's, it's funny to see all the kind of the gaps because you have a tendency to not you – don't, you don't even see misprints when you look at something for so long, you yeah. know. And so they kick back things, and, and you're kind of going, well, yeah, that's so obvious, and it, it really polishes up. And Sarah, she's she's a fabulous editor, and she also is very nice about things because, you know, yeah. again, you could really get super feelings hurt, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's brutal. Mm -hmm. I remember I um, I joined a – Matt and I lived in, in Lubbock for a period of time, and I when I was up there, I joined a writing group. That was one of the things that I tried to do to improve my writing. And essentially what it is is that you – hand out, you know, samples of your writing to other people and they critique it. Mm -hmm. And you really don't know their backgrounds. And so you're like, you know, you don't know if these are like professional editors or what, but they are harsh. They yeah. are brutal. And it's, but you, yes, but it's a, it's a good thing, you yeah. know, cause it, it, it helps you shape your, your style and, and you get to see what other people see right. that you may not. Yeah. So is it real raw or you got, you fine tuning yourself and submit it? I like, if you're, if, to me, if you're writing, you got all your thoughts down and you're, you're doing it. I mean, then you got to fine tune it again. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's... I have a tendency. My process is, is that I will, I try to write in verse of storyline. So I'll go through and I try to get, you know, one kind of, you know, thing done. And whether that's in a day or a week or whatever, you know, I try to get it, you know, all hashed out and then I'll go through it again. And I always end up, what, what I've noticed about myself is that it seems like, I don't have a lot of details that first go through, and then that next time I kind of beef it up and beef it up and beef it up. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of people that have a tendency to write huge manuscripts. Mine are very small, um, very small. My editor, that's oh, Caroline, that's always her first thing. Yeah, we should probably get this up to twenty or thirty thousand words, and I'm like, oh man, oh man, <laughs> that's gonna be, that's gonna hurt. But um, but yeah, and and. And you know what that is is just providing detail because it clearly it's in my mind. Right, but you got to get it on paper. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. If I were to write a book, it'd be something about the challenges of life, and and I don't want to write it yet because I'm still not done with my challenges. Okay. You get, well, and you you're also going to have to have like the principles of it. You've got to have it's got to be numbered, right? Right. And you've got it, or maybe you can have it. C H I P and have like each one of the challenges. C for clients. H for I don't know what a good H one would be. Just a hell of a week. <laughs> Every week's hell. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and those are I, those are really interesting books to me too. I know you and I connected on that um, on the power of positive thinking, yeah. and because I am, I'm really into those those kind of books. And you know, that was that was my background was in um, you know organizational psychology, yeah. and, and that's what I did was I you know thought about the way that people think and the way that they perform and. Um, Cause guess what? There's something to that. Like, right. Oh, absolutely. I read that book this morning. I just always pick up just a little bit of it and mm-hmm. read it. You know, the, yeah. and, uh, and I used it this morning on, we had uh, some one-on-ones with some folks and it helped me relate to them and how they should react to the situation and puts a positive spin on it and yeah. it helped out. Yeah. So power of positive thinking. Yeah. Vincent Norman Peel. That's a, that's a, it's a classic. And uh, he was also like Donald Trump's, preacher or something like there was some yeah i think he married him and one of his wives i don't know which one the one with the big 80s hair because he he was an actual preacher okay um, vincent norman peel and so he kind of he has that christian base but not overly right preachy or whatever yeah yeah so just enough to like get you what you need to know and make it all better because it's, uh, the way he puts it in there is just phenomenal. If you ever read that book, it's, it's great. And I, I appreciate. I always saw the book, but you actually gave me the book, <laughs> and I've been reading it now, and it's been awesome. It's good. It's good. I'm like, I'm probably positive. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you're better than my husband. Like, I, I gave him, I gave him that exact one. I was like, Why don't you read this? Why don't you read this? And he's like, What are you trying to say? And he like, and I saw he had dog ears like on page three, and he's like, I just, I can't read this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great stuff. I mean, I think everybody needs it. I mean, it's. I think it'd make the world a better place if everybody read that book. Yeah. It's a good one. So, re- readers are leaders. And so, if you have children that, uh, you don't have to love science, maybe, maybe help you love science, but Cosmic Conundrum and Quantum Quagmire by Kara Bartek. Check it out, guys. Google Kara Bartek. It's C-A-R-A, Bartek, B-A-R-T-E-K. And uh, check them out. Make good gifts for kids. Yeah, yeah, you know? it is. Yeah, so, and it's a, it's a lot, lots of fart jokes. Okay, okay? I'm into the fart jokes, That's and good. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of silly humor. So, and it's it's I, what I hope is good storyline. But yeah, it, it backdoor science, and and again, that was that's my whole thing is to try to get kids interested and stay interested. Yeah, awesome. And then on the uh, you know, good luck in y'all's. Uh, other business, the agricultural business. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That thing's, I mean, I'm amazed at what y'all are doing there. It's crazy. I mean, y'all are very intelligent, smart people, and we're just excited to have y'all here. Thanks. Well, we're, we're excited to be a part of this community. You know, um, when I first started dating Matt, he, we would drive through here, and he'd say, you know what, Carol, one of these days we're going to live here. And I said, oh, my God. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Because, you know, you, you think that you want to be, like, in a big city yeah. and, you know, have all these conveniences and everything. And then you hit 30 and you're like, you know, 35, you're like, wow, I need to be out here. And it is, it's, this is a wonderful place. And we've been, it, he, he's always told me how, how amazing the people are, but we've been really amazed how welcoming and wonderful everybody is. Cause you know, I think it's only been like two or three weeks that we've been here. Yeah. And people are very sweet to the world. Right. I was so excited when I saw you on church the other day. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> Where's Matt? Where's Matt? <laughs> he's traveling again. I know. He is. I know. <laughs> But it's awesome. Good to see you guys. Yeah. And if you ever need anything, holler at us. But uh, everybody check out Kara. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. Hey, thank you. I feel very special to have an author on, on the show today. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it takes a lot to get to where you're at. And it takes a lot of 
just drive, patience, endurance, all that stuff. And you're going to be running a uh, marathon here pretty soon. So she yes. looks, she's a runner just like I am. We've got a lot of stuff in common. We love to read, love to run. I'm a very slow runner, though, too. I'm a, I'm a, a Clydesdale. <laughs> yeah, that's what you got to do. Slow and steady wins the race. Absolutely. I do it just to maintain. I don't know. I just, like I said, I, I can... It's my time to think and clear, yes. clear the mind and stuff. Yes, me too. So. Me too. And then it justifies the trips to Taco Bell. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> justifies the beer. <laughs> exactly. I always say, I can't. They're like, why do you exercise every day? I was like, because I can't drink beer unless I exercise every day. Why do you think I exercise every day? So <laughs> exactly. I can drink a beer every day. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thank you. Thanks for checking out the Chip Shot, guys. Please share this show. Uh, we appreciate it. And rock and roll, we'll, we'll catch you next week. <laughs> <laughs>